Matt, congratulations on that very prestigious chair that you're occupying in American Prosperity and uh, on your recent columns and, of course, on your book. Uh, Why is Mike Johnson such a mild-mannered, unassuming figure? Why does he mark the end of the Reagan era of the Republican Party? Well, Michael, uh, thank you for having me. I think on the most surface level, uh, Speaker Johnson is a hinge figure because he replaces someone, Kevin McCarthy, who had roots that went back to the pre-Trump Republican Party. Whereas Mike Johnson, he's elected to the House in 2016 with Trump. So he uh, it has no ties to the pre-Trump Republican Party or the party of George W. Bush, the party of Mitt Romney. I mean, he was a Republican during that time, but as an elected official in federal office, he's been shaped by the Trump Republican Party. He's also the figure who, as you pointed out in your introduction, has unified the Republican conference around him, which means that he has been able to appeal to the Trump wing of the party, which had been very suspicious of McCarthy, of course, ultimately leading to McCarthy's ouster. Uh, and suspicious of other figures, say Tom Emmer, the majority whip, who uh, had the more classic profile of a speaker, someone who had spent a lot of time fundraising, building relationships. He was rejected by the Trump wing because of his deviations from the Trump uh, line on a variety of issues. Johnson. Well, it was mostly it was mostly with uh, Tom Emmer, who uh, I admire and I thought was a great choice for speaker, too. But Tom Emmer uh, believed that Joe Biden won the election. He was not he never went along with the Trump line, which is still part of the Trump line in every rally that the election of 2016 was stolen. Is it now necessary to be a modern day MAGA Republican to continue (laughs) the the fantasy that Trump actually won the election in 2020? It would seem because uh, Speaker Johnson, of course, um, challenged the election result in 2020 and helped provide some legal guidance to the Trump administration when it was trying to overturn the results of the election. So that was, you're absolutely right, that was one of the major differences between Emmer and Johnson. Another uh, issue that has somewhat changed in recent days, but prior to his elevation as Speaker, Johnson had been a critic of aid to Ukraine. And now uh, we've just received word that he has shifted on the issue. He says that now that Speaker, he is supportive of aid to Ukraine, as uh, but he is separating it out from the aid to Israel after the attacks of October 7th. So on the issue of the 2020 election, on the issue of Ukraine, and just the general political culture in which he um, ha- has uh, risen, uh, Johnson is a uh, member of the Trump Republican Party, not the Republican Party that preceded it. So uh, you, we've mentioned two issues, uh, one one being actually the issue of isolationism or neo-isolationism versus the traditional uh, shining city on a hill world leadership uh, that is associated, of course, with President Reagan. 
And uh, then there is the very specific issue of uh, election fraud and the stolen election and the rigged election. We, we all should remember that President Trump also thought that the election that he won was rigged. And uh, one of his first acts as new president in 2017 was uh, having a full investigation that was supposed to be headed by Mike Pence of uh, what he said was three million uh, stolen votes in California, which uh, which, of course, is was a, a figure that was chosen because that would have allowed Trump to win the popular vote and not just the electoral vote against Hillary. But other than those two issues, uh, philosophically, and that's really what your book, The Right, is about, is the evolution of American conservatism, do you really believe that the Trump Republican Party, as it's moving forward, is going to embrace the, the old-style Robert Taft isolationism? Well, I would think that the Trump wing already has, and the Trump wing is the dominant faction in the GOP today. You're right to suggest that there's a debate on many of these topics. Um, that's why it took three weeks to elect a new speaker uh, in, 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 in Speaker Johnson. But if you just take a step back, you think about the fact that Donald Trump is far and away the front runner to win the Republican nomination for a third consecutive time. In 2020, the Republican Party did not issue a party platform. It said, see the previous platform, 2016, and whatever Trump has said in, in the days since. If you look at now, um, Matt Gates, a Trump loyalist in the House, was able to defenestrate uh, Speaker McCarthy, <laughs> who was who very popular. I mean, he was popular among the conference, except for those eight um, recalcitrants that that Gates is able to, to organize to, to oust him. And one of them is leaving right now, isn't Ken Ken yeah, Buck, well, Ken was Buck one right. of the, yeah, he, who was he one of the Magnificent Seven, right, who joined uh, right. Matt Gates. He, uh, he's now retiring. So if you just kind of look at the correlation of forces, say, to use an old term, um, um, it's the Trump wing uh, that is defining what the Republican Party is. And if Trump is nominated again, I think it's almost... Um, irrevocable. There's no going back. I mean, you can always go forward and you can try to reintroduce the values of internationalism, of uh, free enterprise, um, of, um, uh, you know, uh, opposition to conspiracy theories like the idea that the election was rigged into the Republican Party. But that would have to be in the future. Um, okay. The idea that what, we're going to continue. We're going to continue this conversation. I do want to bring up one relevant fact, which is that just to remind everybody listening that Ronald Reagan won two landslide victories, and not just in the Electoral College, but in the popular vote. Um, President Trump has run for president twice. Both times he has lost the popular vote by three million the first time, by seven million this last time. Does that? indicate a, an optimistic future for this new Republican Party? We'll get to that with Matt Continetti of American Enterprise Institute coming up on the Medved Show. The Michael Medved Show all across America. I really enjoy your program. I listen to talk radio all day. You're definitely right up there, the cream of the crop. This is the Michael Medved Show.
Show. And on the Michael Medved Show, uh, joined by Matt Continetti uh, of the American Enterprise Institute, where he holds the chair in American Prosperity. And uh, let's hope we see more of that. Uh, he uh, is also the author of The Right, which was released uh, a couple months ago in paperback. Uh, the subtitle is The Hundred Year War for American Conservatism. And uh, there is a turning point in American conservatism, Matt Continetti argues, and I think most people would agree, a turning point that we're going through uh, right now. Uh, one of the things that it, it seems to me is, is very striking is that we have 18 members of the GOP conference who got themselves elected because they were more popular than Donald Trump in their districts. They, uh, the districts were lost, and in some cases lost overwhelmingly, uh, to the Democrats and to Joe Biden, and yet these Republicans hung on. Meanwhile, there are only five Democrats who were more popular than Biden, who actually won in Republican districts. Uh, what happens to the House Republican majority in, in the, the other crucial election that's uh, taking place in November of 2024? Well, um, if Trump is the Republican nominee, I think that a lot of those frontline Republican House members uh, would be endangered, Michael. And that's why you have some election analysts um, suggesting that we would have a uh, we could have a weird configuration of power in 2025 if Donald Trump wins a non-consecutive second term. He would be the Republican president. Most likely, if he wins the presidency, then the Republicans would win the Senate. But he could win the presidency and the Republicans could lose the Senate, win the Senate while losing the House. So we'd have kind of the re reverse of what we have right now, just another sign of our topsy-turvy politics. Well, I, the House recently, the most recent Gallup poll, the approval rating for the House of Representatives was 13 <laughs> percent. That doesn't sound like a great atmosphere for incumbents, does it? No, no. It's, um, it's always worth pointing out that individual congressmen tend to be rated a little bit higher than Congress as a whole. Of course, there's every reason not to approve of Congress. I mean, it has been relatively dysfunctional this past couple months. And uh, the real test for Speaker Johnson is, can he uh, right the ship? Can he can he fund the government? Can he fund Israel? Can he send military assistance to Ukraine? Um, these are still questions we don't know the answer to. Well, it's a, a basically avoiding uh, that government shutdown. And there are still members of the House and members of the new Republican Party who believe that uh, shutting down the government is a worthwhile endeavor. Uh, I've never fully understood that. Does that surprise you when you interview people and you talk to people about the uh, new MAGA Republican Party? There has always been this mindset that a shutdown is a win in and of itself. Uh, even though shutdowns normally backfire on the party that begins them. And uh, that, I think, has been borne out over time. 
I think this MAGA Republican Party, the Trump Party, is uh, it's less interested in policy debates and it's much more interested in confrontation, much more interested in owning the libs. You can kind of see that in the way that Speaker Johnson has structured his proposed aid package to Israel. He, he's paying for it by clawing back parts of Biden's signature legislation from last year, uh, funding of the IRS. Now, I, I don't think the IRS should have been funded in the way that they did it in the IRA, but I also think that right now our allies need the money to fight these wars. And so you get the money out first before you go and try to score political points. But so, you, but you, that speaks to this general attitude of confrontation, trying to own the libs, uh, and just a rejection of kind of the rules of politics as previously understood, because for many Republicans today, those rules were written by liberals, and they're not here to play by the rules. They're here to change the rules, change the rules in ways that um, will be very disruptive to America and to the world by design. And what what's one of the most beneficial changes uh, that we could see uh, in terms of changing the rules? Well, um, in terms of changing the rules, uh, you could get a much smaller government or certainly a government that just does less uh, out of dysfunction. I would say one political change with this new party, Michael, that's worth pointing out is that the Republican Party is now the party that feels your pain. There have been some surveys showing uh, that Republicans have basically closed the gap with Democrats on which party understands people like you when you ask American voters which party understands the problems you face. And we've seen, too, that this Trump Republican Party um, does significantly better than the earlier Republican Party among minority voters. And uh, it does very well among non-college-educated voters of any race or ethnicity. It is a more working-class party in that respect. And that is a sea change in American politics. And the party has gotten closer to its voters. But it's done so by abandoning many of the principles uh, it held for, really, um, uh, you know, about 50 years. See, the one thing that... Uh... I haven't understood, and uh, it was interrupted a little bit by the pandemic for three years, but uh, generally the historic trend has been for more and more and more Americans to actually go to college and pursue college degrees, and the the difference is dramatic, and in terms of uh, 1970, there were about 5% of American adults who had uh, uh, a four-year college degree or more and uh today of course it's uh close to half and mm -hmm. don't you think that is likely to continue that more people are going to get college education or is that out i would have said that it would continue earlier but since october 7th michael i, I now think that we should try to prevent people from going to college if, where they're going to be <laughs> or certainly not to, serve, in this, in this not to Harvard or Cornell or Penn. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So I think yeah. that you're right. The trend went in one way, but I think it could change as a result of uh, the, the past month and who knows what else is to come. Uh, we, well, to get some glimpse of that, uh, read the book The Right, The Hundred-Year War for American Conservatism 
which has a lot of heroes in the book and a lot of people to admire going all the way back to the beginnings of American conservatism and including uh, people who have made real contributions to our country. Matt Continetti, appreciate uh, your conversation. When we come back, uh, the Republican Party has always been a party for a strong defense. How about building a new nuclear bomb 24 times more powerful than the one dropped during World War II? We'll get to that coming up on the Med